title of the message this morning is Love and Fulfillment. It should be Love and Fulfillment of the Law. But I keep them short because that's the way Sermon Audio likes them. If you extend the title, the little pop-up window will come up and say, have you considered a shorter title? Yeah, I did, but... So, anyway, in our text today, the Apostle Paul moves from taxes to love. In Romans chapter 13, verse 7, Paul tells us to not only pay taxes, if you remember from last week, um, but he tells us to pay what we owe in um, respect and honor to whom respect and honor is due. Then Paul shifts gears in verse 8 and tells us, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In verse 9, not sure what happened there. Um, in verse 9, after listing four of the Ten Commandments, each having to do with human relationships, and each from the second table of the Decalogue, Deca means ten, Decalogue, Ten Commandments, Paul says that the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he says the whole law can be summed up with this. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And then love does no wrong to a neighbor. Okay. Um, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, before we look at what it means to fulfill the law by loving our neighbor, I think we should first define who our neighbor actually is. There are those within Christendom today who teach that God only requires us to love other Christians, Christian neighbors, and that non-Christians in this regard, don't matter or do not matter. In recent weeks past, we studied Romans 12, where we learned that we are not only called upon God to love everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike, but we also learned that we are required to love our enemy, enemies and pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. That was Romans 12, 14, if you remember. Um, so this notion of we should only love Christians and do good to Christians is not necessarily true. Um, it isn't true. Uh, recently, I found on YouTube the full HD film of, it's entitled um, Sabina, S-A-B-I-N-A, -A. does anybody know? Sabina, um, Voice of the Martyrs, Tortured for Christ. Excellent film. 
the thing that amazed me most about the movie was its in-your-face, powerful, very, very powerful, um, I don't want to say notion, mandate that we are to love our enemies and that we are to love those that persecute us, as she did in the film. She loved the man who killed her entire family. Did we go offline? You're on mute. Oh, we're on mute. Sorry, folks. Very sorry. Very sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jesus said the exact same thing, by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 44, about loving our enemies. And in fact, our Lord also said that if we loved our enemies, our reward would be great and we would be acting like sons of the Most High, who is kind to both the unthankful and the evil, Luke 6.35. So, we're to love our neighbor and our enemy. However, however, it is very important, I think, to point out that there is ample evidence throughout Scripture conveying the position whereby we should take care of those in the household of faith first. I just heard a click again, Tim. Would you see if it, if they could still hear us? It just dinged again. Did it go off again? Yeah. That's weird. Sorry, folks. We have no idea why it's just going off on its own and muting. No. Strange. I'll have to figure out what's going on with that. So anyway, household of faith first, right? Galatians chapter 6, if you're taking notes, verse 10, we should do good, Paul says, to everyone and especially those of the household of faith. I want you to remember that word household because we're going to go back to that. Now, enough about that. I just wanted to clarify and make sure that we're all on the same page in understanding um, who our neighbors are and our responsibility to them. Moving on. I'd like you to see that as Christians, we are all in debt. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, you know, Mike, I'm pretty blessed. Um, I'm not in debt. My house is paid for. Cars are paid for. I'm current on my kids' $50,000 a year college tuition. Um, all caught up. I'm, I have no debt. I'd still argue that, in fact, you do indeed have debt, and it's a lifelong major debt. And this debt never, ever comes to an end. And, of course, we see here in our text, Romans 13.8, if you want to look at that, that this debt is the debt that we have to love one another. Zach. <laughs> to love one another. You're, you're trying? Thank you for trying. And... Um, this loving one another is not, you want to mute that, <laughs> turn the sound down, <laughs> um, okay, this is not burdensome, this debt, or backbreaking, or oppressive, okay, at least it shouldn't be, why, because 
we as Christians should embody the lyrics of Sister Sledge. We are family. I've got all my sisters and me. At least that's how we should see it, because it's true. We are one big family in Christ. And if you don't know Sister Sledge and you don't know that song, it just means that you're probably under the age of 40. So that was the Pirates theme song for the 1979 World Series, yeah. And I'm glad I fact-checked it, because I thought it was the Pointer Sisters. I put the Pointer Sisters down originally. So always fact-check your music in your sermons. Uh, regardless, we are all members of the same family um, if we're in Christ. So, we are a little family here at AGC, especially in the summer, and that just went off again. I have no idea why. So, um, yeah, this sermon is not going to go over on sermon audio very well. Uh, people are going to be thinking we're crazy. So, we're a little family here, but hence we are still nonetheless family. And in fact, one could argue that the smaller families, the smaller churches foster greater intimacy, and they do, uh, among family members. And trust me, when you're suffering, you want that intimacy from your congregation, from your church family. It's very, very important. When you're in a very large church and you're suffering, many times you suffer alone because people just don't, there aren't enough people close to you. So anyway, that's a whole other sermon. As members of the same family, we are also disciples of Christ, aren't we, together? And what did Jesus say about us in that regard? He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. John 13, 35. Love for one another. That's what Jesus said. Isn't that what families do? Don't they love one another? Or at least they should love one another. A family that does not love each other is considered to be a what? Dysfunctional family. Or perhaps it's not dysfunctional as a whole, just one individual in that family may be dysfunctional, meaning that they are, and this is the definition of dysfunctional, deviating from the norms of social behavior in a way that's bad, okay? Deviating from the norms of social behavior in a way that's bad, Amy would probably call me dysfunctional. Um, That's a joke. Anyway, many critics, okay, would say that the Christianity um, that the church sets out before us today, before the world today, um, is quite dysfunctional, to say the least. And they would be right. And I wouldn't say the world. I would say the United States. Why are we so dysfunctional in the body of Christ in the United States? Why Why are there so many divisions among us? And why does it seem so far-fetched for us to display any kind of unity? The answer isn't hard to figure out. Part of the answer is the rugged individuality that um, 
we like to apply too much to ourselves here in the West, those of us that live in the Western Hemisphere. I can assure you that the Chinese church that I talked about last week doesn't wrestle with dysfunction like we do in the United States within church. Why? Well, one reason, like I said, is the rugged individualism, and that is very indigenous to the West. It's almost non-existent in the East. It's a cultural thing, okay? Um, I mentioned this once before, but it was five, six years ago. I had a lot of Chinese students at uh, Carnegie Mellon when I was a campus minister. And we had a lot of Singaporean students. Carnegie Mellon is very um, good at recruiting students from other countries, especially Asian countries because they do well in academics. They excel. And they want students that excel, obviously. They want to be graduating students with high grade point averages. It makes them look good. So we had all these Singaporean students and this one Bible study that we did on Monday nights at CMU, uh, we did it for a while there, a couple years, in one of the students' um, apartments, okay? And um, you, hear, you hear Paul talk about hospitality a lot in Scripture, and he's constantly telling us to be hospitable to one another. And you may be thinking, well, you know, I thought this when I read it uh, several times. Um, okay, it just hung up completely. Oh, no, now we're getting a phone call. Um, okay, nothing I can do about it. Um, other, other countries have issues with hospitality, which is why I think Paul mentioned it so many times, other cultures. And even other cultures back then when Paul was writing, they had issues with hospitality. Whereas today, um, in the United States at least, we're very hospitable. We are especially hospitable in our churches. Even though we have this rugged individualism, okay? Follow me on this. Um, so we had this Bible study, and we had 15 to 18 Singaporean students and other Chinese students. And Indian students started to come to attend. We were trying to get them to come and attend, and they did. And it wasn't many weeks before they all started to leave. The Indian students would leave and not come back. So naturally, I wanted to know why, and so I went to the Indian students, and they were like, the Asian students don't talk to us. They don't share their food with us. And it never dawned on me until they mentioned it to me, but it was true. The Singaporean students would all bring Tupperware food, okay? And they would, it, it's a big deal to them to get together um, in somebody's apartment, and food is part of the hospitality of their culture. And so 
they would always bring a big spread of food and get together. But after the Bible study, when it was time to eat, the Asian students would go in the kitchen and congregate together by themselves. And they would not talk to the Indian students who were in the living room at all. And so I went to the Asian students and I said, these guys are leaving. They're not coming back because you're not talking to them. You guys got to reach out to people beyond yourself, beyond your own culture. It wasn't a racial thing. It's not a race thing. It's a cultural thing. And um, they wouldn't do it. I mean, they told me they were going to do it, but they would not do it. They would keep to themselves, show immense hospitality to themselves, but not to the Indian students or even the few English students that were there. They, they wouldn't. And I found this out throughout the culture over 18 years being a campus minister. Um, I found this out to be true time and time again. It got to the point where I actually disbanded the Singaporean Bible study because I was so tired of them not welcoming, welcoming any other students of any other culture. So, I say all that to say this. In our American culture, okay, we have coined terms to describe our Lone Ranger, Scott's not here, Lone Ranger-like approach, okay? Um, we say things like, for example, we say things like, yeah, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. I accepted Christ. I'm doing my devotions. I made Jesus the Lord of my life, okay? We have made our Christianity thoroughly individualistic, which is largely unbiblical, is my point. And even though the Asian students were very hospitable to other Asian students, they were very individualistic and Lone Ranger-like to their own culture, or I should say, to outside cultures. They didn't want to welcome anybody but, but Asians, okay? And um, I've said this one other time in here too. Some churches have even relegated uh, communion where they used to do the Lord's Supper once a week, which is historically exemplified all the way back to the first century. If you read Christian history, okay, every time they got together, every time, they got together. They did the Lord's Supper, okay? Um, what we've done today, especially in large churches, we've relegated the Lord's Supper to once a month as a corporate body, as a church. But we've got pri private communion in the side aisles, okay? And the church that I came from with a thousand members, every Sunday they had private communion in the two side aisles, but only corporate communion once a month. And allowing such, pastors don't realize that allowing such things, the leadership allowing um, such things shows that, first of all, not only are we making our Christianity too individualistic, I mean, the very nature, the very definition of the word communion is communal. But yet we've made it a, a Lone Ranger um, the Lord's table. And it's supposed to be a shared act or experience, 
not an individual segregated right, okay? Um, but again, as pastors and as Christians, we have these buzzwords in America. Um, these are my spiritual needs. The Lord spoke to me. The Lord impressed upon me, upon my heart, that I should do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of us becoming united with each other to be partakers together of, this is why Paul says this, of one bread, one cup, one communion with the Holy Spirit, instead of fostering like-minded, undivided love toward our neighbors, okay, with an effort, a combined effort for unity and community and a bond of peace, we instead, some of us, come to our family home. Remember, I, I used the word household. Abiding Grace Church is your church family home. It is your Christian family household. We make little or no effort at times as Christians in America to love one another in a common fellowship of believers. We bring the individuality, we bring the Lone Ranger mentality into the church. And all I'm trying to tell you is that loving your neighbor is not like that. Not in the text. Not in Paul's writings. Not in our Lord Jesus' sayings. Okay? Love is displayed through conversation. Love is displayed through a genuine interest in each other's lives. Love is displayed by showing an inquiry into the lives of those around you in church. Are they hurting? If they're hurting, how are they hurting? Can I pray for you? How are you feeling? How can I help? But in our society, in our culture, how many of you, you know, native Pittsburghers, at least, you've heard of the word neb, okay? Um, you know, if I look out the window at what the neighbors are doing on the street, if I hear something, Amy will say, quit nebbing, you're, you're a neb, because I'm always looking to see what everybody's doing out in the street, okay? So, point being is, we, we're, we're like that. We, we will neb into each other's lives kind of like... Um, from a hidden place, or a, sometimes even a gossipy place. Yeah, yeah. What's up with Jason? Yeah, I, I saw he wasn't here last week. Have, do you know where he was? Instead of just going to Jason and saying, hey, dude, how you doing? I didn't see you last week. Uh, just something going on. Why weren't you here? You know, that's how we are. It doesn't need to be that way. We should be able to talk to each other, love one another. We are a family, we are, are a community. We should be able to be nebby with each other. A bunch of nebs. So, um, Paul helps us in Colossians. Uh, oh, and I wanted to mention this too, by the way. You know, I had a lot of African students from the continent of Africa. And I was talking to Cheese Bros about this, and they concurred and agreed, uh, having been missionaries there, that... The African students are the complete opposite of the Asian students. 
The African students want to talk to everybody. They love everybody. They, they will give you the shirt off their back. It doesn't matter what color you are, what creed you are, what, what culture you come from. They're just really very cool people. And to see the dichotomy and to see the, um, the opposites in different cultures in that regard, it's just very, very interesting. Anyway, Colossians chapter 3, if you would follow along with me, I know that Scott read this, but I want to read it again. There's things I want to highlight. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Uh, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what we're looking for. Harmony, unity, peace, love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called, there it is again, in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that is our recipe, church. And it's not a recipe for disaster. I think of another song, Molly Hatchet, Flirting with Disaster. Anyway. Um, as As the phrase goes okay not a recipe for disaster in our 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 vernacular here but instead it's a recipe for how to be the family of god by the way my wife she's a master at it and sometimes it drives me crazy um i'll say a sentence or make a statement she'll finish it with a song lyric and and she pulls these song lyrics out from nowhere and then at three o'clock in the morning you know I'm laying in bed and I got this stupid song going through my head that she finished my sentence with earlier in the day. Anyway, if we, if we were to read those five verses in Colossians each morning uh, before we begin our day, or if we were to take three minutes and prayerfully meditate on these verses, maybe at lunchtime, we'd have a much easier time loving our neighbor, and therefore fulfilling the law. And I would do almost anything, folks, to get people to see, and more importantly, adopt the mindset that we at Abiding Grace Church are the local household of God. We are a home for you and for 
other Christians in the area that make up the greater household of God. And a household implies a home, and it implies also family, right? That's the greater household of God. Um, Remember last week, I said that our home is in heaven, and we are sojourners here on earth because earth is not our eternal destination. That still holds true, but we must understand that we, everyone in this room, have the same eternal destination whereby we will continue, folks, continue to dwell together as the family of God, as saints in love. We're going to be with each other in eternity is my point. So we worship God here and we worship God there. We're going to be together. We're going to know each other in our glorified state. And we're going to continue to worship God together in eternity. So we are a family that is eternal. That should excite you. As sojourners here, strangers in this world, okay, we are knit together in Christ. We are not strangers to one another. What does the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22? He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So like I said, we are sojourners in this land, but we are at home with each other, or at least we should be at home with each other in the household of God. And as we await our eternal dwelling, we should be loving our neighbors as ourselves and in so doing, fulfilling the law. The reality of these things is I should have turned the air conditioner on. The reality of these things should greatly compel us to want to come to church every Sunday morning. To want to come to the building to church every Sunday morning. Okay? Shifting gears. What does Paul mean in our text when he says that we fulfill the law when we love our neighbor as ourselves? you would be blown away at how many commentators skip this part of the text. I don't get it, but they do. The law here that Paul primarily has in mind is the Ten Commandments. How do we know that? We know it because he lists four of them, as I said before, in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. And they all can be defined, as I said before, as relational, those commandments. 
or more aptly put, they have to deal with how we relate to our neighbors. Now, can one say, it's not only the Ten Commandments, it's also the moral law? Yeah, you could say that. All moral law and the Ten Commandments are summed up and fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself or loving your neighbor as you want to be loved. Okay? Now, Paul is calling us in these verses to love our neighbors as ourselves. As I said, what does he have in mind here specifically? Attitudes and actions. Attitudes and actions of love that correspond to those relational commandments. Do your attitudes and actions, the way that you love, the way that you commune with your fellow saints in the household of God, do they correspond? Does it correspond to these commandments? If we love, then we display a mindset and behavior that is required by the law. We display the type of behavior, Christian behavior, that is required by the law. So our attitudes and actions satisfy the demands of the law when we love as we are called to love. That is what Paul means when he uses the word fulfill here. This is what Jesus meant. He said, this is Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, he says, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus took it to another level. It's not just the Ten Commandments in Romans 13. It's not just the second part of the Decalogue, the relational commandments. It's not just the Mosaic law. It's not just the moral law. It's the law and the prophets. Everything that is godly can be summed up in this love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. James, our Lord's brother, said, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, then he, he says what it is. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you're doing well. Emphasis on the royal law there. And of course, we are in, very important. We are incapable of fulfilling the law perfectly, even when we love our neighbors as ourselves to the best of our ability, we're incapable of fulfilling it completely. If we could fulfill the law perfectly without one sin, then it would not have been necessary for Christ to manifest himself in the flesh and die for our sins. The same goes for our Roman Catholic friends. If the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception which claims that the Virgin Mary was free from original sin. And by the way, that doctrine um, became official in the Catholic Church um, in, on December 8th, 1854. So Mary was not born free of original sin prior to 1854. But in 1854, she was. And if that were true, then... It wouldn't have been necessary for Jesus to come and live a sinless life. 
here on earth because Mary would have already lived one being without original sin and she could have been our savior instead of Jesus. And that's where that leads because right now the Catholics are trying to adopt the official doctrine of co-redemptrix where Mary also redeems. They're trying to get the church to officially say that Mary redeems us along with Jesus. You see where bad doctrine can take you? And so in regard to our text, we generally fulfill the law by loving our neighbor as ourselves because loving our neighbor sums up the law, but only our Christ could manifest himself in human flesh and be tempted in every way as we are tempted and yet live a sinless life from cradle to grave and then be resurrected from the dead unto glory. Let's pray.